Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. How's everybody? God bless you. That was a powerful song. Uh, Jeannie let me listen to it last night and uh, on YouTube, and it was, it was really good. I mean, just you could feel it right from the start. Amen. How many believing for something today from the Lord? Amen. Um, actually, uh, I t titled this earlier in the week, you know, Stop the DIY Christianity. And what I mean by that is the do-it-yourself, or we could say it do-it-your-way uh, Christianity. And, you know, it's hard to conceive of the multifaceted examples of, I guess we, as we say, Christianity that we see. And, uh, but when you take a real fresh look at Jesus and how he did ministry, uh, in some ways uh, we've gotten pretty far away from the way he did it. Um, Jesus made a statement in John the 14th chapter, and I just want to read a couple of verses and I'll let you be seated. John 14 and uh, he, this whole chapter is, is really uh, talking about the Holy Spirit and how Jesus is not going to leave us as orphans, but he's going to provide the Holy Spirit to be with us and not only with us, but in us. And in verse 12, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, when he says it like that, he's really wanting us to get it. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, and then he prefaces it with this, he who believes in me, uh, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do. Now, this, this is why we will do the greater works, he says, because you prayed and fasted enough. It doesn't say that, does it? Because you're deserving of being able to do it. It doesn't say that, does it? It says the reason that we'll be able to do these greater works, and it's important that you get this, is because I go to my Father. That's why. And whoever and whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, Jesus is telling us that he wants us to do the works that he's doing. And, and some of us go, well, how in the world can we do you know, what Jesus did, because he was Jesus, and, and, and we're not. One time in John 6, I believe, the 6th chapter, they said to Jesus, said, we want to do the works of the Father. And Jesus says, this is the work of the Father, to believe in him who he sent. He said, your biggest obstacle to doing the works is just simply believing. That's why Jesus preferences this here. He said that he who believes in me. Jesus didn't say, most assuredly, I say to you, the works that I do, will you do also. That's how most people quote it. That the works that I do, will you. No, Jesus said, he who believes in me. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. In my name, they shall heal the sick. They, see, but it, them that believe in me. Now, and it's more than believing that he exists because the Bible says even the devils believe that God exists, that Jesus exists in fear and tremble. But it's believing in him. Not believing in his existence, but you're putting your faith in the person of the Lord Jesus. You can be seated. Uh, and I say this not to try to impress you or anything, but maybe for a little bit of mercy if this don't go good. What I'm just going to talk to you about has absolutely nothing to do with the notes that I have on my 
machine. And uh, that'll be a good sermon. I'll preach it later sometime. But I can still make the title work with what I feel like that God has on my heart. You know, I mentioned to, to us last uh, Sunday how there's such a desire, uh, particularly in the youth, for a supernatural experience. And you look at the things that, that draws the attention, and that's they all have that that commonality of that supernatural aspect to it, and it and it's it's enticing and drawing. And I told you that we're we're all hardwired for the supernatural because we're supernatural. We serve a supernatural God. Now, one of the things that that uh, the Apostle Paul talked about, you know, if we if we're going to do the works of Jesus. Now, I don't, you know, sometimes we just have to be reminded that Jesus said the works that you see me do, if you believe in me, you'll do those works and greater. And I, and, and, and a lot of people debate what he means by greater, but, but that means more in quantity and, you know, not quality, but more in quantity because there's so many of us. Jesus was one person and when he walked the earth, he could only be at one place at one time. And, 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 and so how in the world can we, the church, begin to 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 move in the great in the in the works of Jesus if if we don't believe in him now the apostle paul said in ephesians 4 in that chapter it says that when jesus before he ascended into heaven he gave gifts unto men and and he called some to be apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers uh, there, there are some people that don't believe that, that they're still apostles and prophets and, and stuff. Well, if you've got one, you've got them all five. You can't, God didn't say, you know, so you can't smorgasbord it and pick what your denomination likes uh, or understands. And so, so we, we need that, that five, what we call the five-fold expression of Jesus, the, the expression of Christ. And no one person, no one uh, people contain, contain that in themselves by themselves. And so he said he gave gifts unto men, and he gave these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting or the equipping, it says, of the saints, for the work, there's that word, of ministry. Now God says the whole reason that somebody like me is up here talking to you this morning, one of the main purposes in that is while we're here, you're being equipped. And so the Holy Spirit is using me to equip you to do the work of the ministry on behalf of the Lord for whom you are an ambassador for Christ. And so you represent, you represent, you represent Christ to this world. Jesus is, is, is not going to come back again in that sense and walk and, and you know, he's, he's done that and now we are his body. Now when you, when we talk, these sing these songs about working and, and God's still working. Yeah, he is working, but he's working through his body. He's the head, but we're his body. And, and so for us, and if we lose sight of that, we, if we don't ever attempt anything, it says for, from the impossible, they were singing, you know, comes miracles. And it does take an impossible situation for it to really be classified as a miracle. A healing is not necessarily a miracle. It, be, it could be a miraculous, you know, result. But I'm saying for it to be considered a real miracle, it's got to be something. Man, that was impossible without and except for God's intervention. And, and so he, he gave gifts unto men, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And how long did he give them? And it says until we all come into the unity of the faith. And I want to tell you we're not there yet. And when he's talking about all, he's talking about his house. And then Paul went on to talk about, and you know, and last Sunday I told you about loving Christ and loving the church as Jesus loved the church and, and how that, that, I mean, if you, if you just halfway read the New Testament, you, you've got to be able to see that the church was never meant to be an individual person. Like I said, one person is not a baseball team. He's just a player. A finger, nobody sees a finger lying on the ground and said, look at that body lying there. No, that, that's, the, that's the part of the body. And so he gives us all these, these gifts, the, the, what we call ascension gifts, and that in itself teaches us that we're not complete apart from the body. Paul went on to talk about that we are uh, living stones and we are being fitly framed and built into the house of God. And, and how a stone placed in, you know, nobody walks by and sees a stone laying out there and goes, look at that building. They don't do that. Nobody says, look at that building. But once that stone has been fitly framed and placed into the wall and the structure, then it becomes part of the building. And then when people pass by, they go, look at that building. And, and it's made up of those stones. Do you see the analogy that, that God uses in his word? And if you think about a stone or some people find it easier to think about a brick, but when it's placed into the wall, you understand that there's two brick under it holding it up. And then there's a brick on the right side, and there's a brick on the left side that's supporting it as well. And then that brick that's been placed in the wall now finds itself supporting somebody above it. And I'm not really talking about bricks and stones, but I'm talking about us, the, 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 the living epistles, those that make up the body of Christ. And, and, and so we have this sweeping uh, attack, really, of the enemy that is doing his very best to scatter the church to where it is individualistic, it no longer uh, gathers and meets as God's word commands us to do, and that we're just, we're, you know, and I told you, we are, we are sheep, we are, we are herd animals, right? And, and, and a sheep by itself is lunch for the wolves. That's what's on the menu. Hmm? So the only person that gets delight in separating us one from another. That's why Jesus told Peter, he said, don't you understand that, that Satan has desired he, to have you that he might sift you as wheat. And so what Jesus was telling those disciples is Satan's strategy, his tactic is to separate you from me and from one another. And that's when Peter just said, I give up, I've blown it too bad, I'm going back to the fishing business. Well, his disciple buddies loved him too much to let him go by himself. And they said, we go with you. <laughs> what do you do when somebody quits and says, I'm going fishing? You just go with them. And a wonderful thing happened on that fishing trip. And Peter got it worked out with God, or God got it worked out with Peter, really, is that what happened. But you, but you understand that, that he's given us these, these, these gifts. And, and I want you to think in terms, and, in, and what I do you know, a, a lot of the times those gifts that we talk about, you know, they, they are they're, they're manifested because we are expecting manifestation. I, I surely am. I, I, I want that. I desire that. And sometimes, you know, in your life, if you're not standing in front of a congregation and preaching with the mind, it doesn't mean that you're less valuable. It just means you have a different task to do than what I do. 
And I told you we talked about it some Sundays ago. You know, none of us have a secular job, not really, not as a believer in Christ because now you've been strategically placed wherever you are in whatever your function. It doesn't matter what you are. I used to get on my wife. She would say, I'm just a housewife when, when talking with somebody. She'd say, I'm just a housewife. And, and I told her, I said, stop saying that. You say that like that's a demeaning thing, you know. Uh, stop saying that. I mean, the Holy Spirit is called our helper, right? He's helping us. But you've got to be doing something for him to help. He's not called the doer. He's called the helper. And, and, and listen, I can never get you to even begin to conceive of doing the works of Jesus until you properly believe in Jesus. Now, let me tell you how vast majority of the church sees Jesus. They say that's Jesus, and he did miracles because he was literally God in the flesh. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. He was Jesus, and that's why that he was able to do what he was able to do. That's why that he could walk on the water. That's why he could raise the dead. That's why he could heal all these sick people is because he was Jesus. And I would dare say some, there's some of you in here, that's what you think. You think that Jesus, when he walked the earth, because he was Jesus, he had super power that you don't have access to as a regular believer. And that you also think that he knew everything when he walked the earth. Now, now you've got to just really get this now, and I know some of you have heard me talk about this before, but there, I'm wasting my time as a preacher trying to convince you to try to do the works of Jesus if you do not properly see the humanity of Christ. Because I want to make this statement to you. Jesus did not do any miracles from walking on the water, raising the dead, healing the sick as Jesus God. He didn't do any miracle as God. I got three amens. Okay, so that means I have work to do this morning. He, he didn't see, and, and see the, 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 that, that, that trepidation, that silence that you, you present me on that statement proves to you that we are, we, have been, we have been told wrong about that. We believe wrong about it. I remember I had a, I had a uh, uh, and Pastor Keith would know this, in, a, in our church that, that I founded in Sparks, I, I, I had a little boy that got cancer. A long, an awfully long story, real short, uh, end up dying. And, 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 uh, but his mother asked me to pray for him to be raised from the dead. Now, the day she asked me that, I hated my job. I mean that. I really hated my job. Because here I'm a preacher, and I, I've read the book. And Jesus said that, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. And here's a mom who's got a little five, five, six, seven-year-old little boy. His name was Jonah. And uh, she asked me to pray that he'd be raised from the dead. Now, I, I had only ever had one other person ask me that, and that was the wife of a man who was 33 years old when he died. And uh, I politely refused. I, uh, you know, I gave a real religious answer, you know. I said, well, I want to do anything, you know, like that, because, and, and I, you know, I said, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's Lord there, and I wouldn't want to do anything to, you know, bring discredit to his name, and so I didn't do it. I still felt like a bum for not even trying, and she, she was kind. She said, okay, Pastor. So I preached his funeral, and we, we buried him. Now I got a little kid, and then the mom says, please pray for him to be raised from the dead. 
and she wanted it kind of orchestrated, not like not, not some performance or anything, but she had his body brought to her home. And so we had all my church members, and then I don't know how many of friends and family of, of, of theirs was there. And uh, and I'm sure, Pastor Keith, you was there. I, I remember, you know, I was so <laughs> that night, and there were so many people there. And, and, uh, and, and so it falls upon me. Now, can I tell you that people looked at me, Christians, you know, that were there, like I was an idiot for even an attempt in such foolishness as that. But with every ounce of th- in me and where I was at that place in God, I believe with everything in me that it was possible for that boy to get out that casket. And I did it like Jesus did. I said, well, Jesus, let me see how Jesus did with Lazarus. With a loud voice, he called him by name and said, come forth. So that's what I did. And I said, Jonah, come forth. And I actually looked my eyes in prayer so I could see if he was setting up. Because I really did believe that. And, and, and one of the reasons I believed it was not so much about my faith or anything like that, but on, on the way to the hospital the day the boy died at Tiff uh, Regional Hospital, and I, you're not supposed to do this, but I had my Bible lying there, you know, actually a real Bible, not an iPad, and I rolled it open, and it, it, it opened to the book of Acts where it said, and women received their dead raised to life again. Women. You women are something else now. It, said, it didn't say men, it said women received their dead. That's what was going on. And I remember walking into that hospital that day so excited about the possibility if that really happened. I just wonder if a bunch of other people would have got, say, you know, you just wonder. And I remember, man, after we did that and people looked and he didn't get up, then here comes, you know, not verbally, not directly to me, uh, but the mockery that went through the community. Can you believe that guy? That guy tried to raise your dead. What an idiot. And it just, and it's just, just, the, just the, the attack of that. And I remember going to a, to a feed store in Cook County one morning, and, and, and there was a county vehicle there, and, and they had uh, some prisoners in the vehicle, I guess, doing some kind of work. And they were dressed in, at that time, black and white striped prison clothing. And, and as I went walked by the, the vehicle, the, the guy said, hey, ain't you Pastor Dale? And, and I said, yeah. And he said, man, I want to tell you, man, in the jail, we heard about you trying to raise that kid from the dead. And he said, man, we all started crying. He said, thank you for doing that. A prisoner told me that. Not one church person, not one person, you know, in the church told me that in the community. But that prisoner said, thank you for doing that. In the jail, man, we heard about it. And we want you to know, man, that we appreciate somebody trying to do the works of Jesus. Somebody had said that people were saying, you know, that guy's so stupid, man. Only Jesus can raise the dead. Who does he think he is trying to raise the dead like Jesus did? And that right there, my friend, is why that we are a non-spiritual, supernatural people as a whole. That's why my grandbabies that just rolled out of here for the second time, that's, that, that, that's why that, uh, uh, Jill, can't you do something with your grandkids? Um, but they are just mesmerized by Harry Potter and that whole deal. And not just them, the whole world is. 
and it ain't slowed up yet. Why, why do you think that's so attractive? Because it's supernatural. There's stuff beyond the normal. And that generation, they're, they're, they are so hungry for that. They're so hungry for it. They just want, you know, supernatural, something beyond this existence in life as normal as it is. And, and I want to tell you that that's really available to us. And most of my life, I feel like I've, you know, just blurbs and blips on the radar screen of the supernatural. And I, I sure, I like to lock in there on it a little bit stronger. We spend so much time worried about light bills, car payments, mortgages, and worrying if we're going to have enough money next year to live. And that's really what consumes most of us, is we are so caught up and grounded in this world system, and we see all this mess going on around us, and we're just, we're just fearful people, and we're just trying to survive. And, and, and if we're not careful, we, we just lose sight of the possibility that's before us. You know, the Bible talks about all these gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. It, it, it names nine there, nine gifts of the Spirit. And, and listen to me, guys. They are gifts, and, and they're not achieved, but they're received. They're not earned. They're not deserved. They're called gifts, not paychecks. You didn't fast and pray enough, and now God says, I'll give you one of my gifts now because I think you're worthy. That's religion does that to you. And they're gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and uh, one of the primary things I, I remember, you know, God, you know, and the Bible says that, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, earnestly de desire, brothers, desire spiritual gifts. Uh, and, and then he says especially that you might prophesy. Now, the reason God really emphasizes prophecy is because he says that he who prophesies is not speaking to God, but he's speaking to men. And he speaks to men for their edification, means to build them up, speaks to their comfort, and, and, and so, you know, and, and their encouragement and their, their, their comforting and, and, and to lift them up and to exhort them. So that's primarily what prophecy does. It encourages you, it builds you up, and if needed, it comforts you. And I've always said there's not a Sunday that goes by that, that this room is not filled with people that need to be built up because what's happened? This world's torn you down. It's, it might be the world, family, friends, or company, you know what? But this world has the has the tenacity sometimes to tear you down as a person and try to bring you down to the identity of a mere. See, I told you last Sunday, Paul rebuked the Corinthian church, although they were extremely carnal, but he said, you're behaving like you're just mere men. You're acting like you're just a normal human being, and Paul rebuked them for that. He said, you're not a mere man anymore. You are supernatural. You have an eternal spirit that has a soul that's wrapped in a body. And he said, stop behaving. Stop arguing and stop fighting like, and, 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 and like you're just a mere man. You're not that. And it all goes back to identity. But most of the time, I tell you, I've spent most of my Christian life thinking I'm just a mere man. I would, I would say that. I'm just a man. I'm just a, you know, it'd be like my wife said, I'm just a housewife. Man, what a great blessing. Can you imagine Mary saying, I'm just a housewife. I'm just looking after God here. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and you got to see, 
for you to properly perceive. See, people be rebuking me for, for trying to do what I'm trying to say. The works that I do shall you do. Now, I've known people, even some personally, that this, 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 they say they've raised the dead. See, the only part about raising the dead is that means somebody got to die. And it's hard to find a volunteer for that. Uh, listen to me, and this is the truth now. If you're going to do the works of Jesus, you've got to do it like Jesus did. Now, I've told you this, and I'll do this quick, but from the time Jesus was born until he was 30 years old, he did no miracles. Not one. None. Why? He couldn't. Why couldn't he? Because he hadn't been endued with that power that you and I have available to us, the Holy Spirit. Now, that happened at his baptism. Now, I don't, I, I don't say that to say he's not, he wasn't God. He was God in the flesh. That's why he was worshipped, even as a baby. But what I'm telling you is that, that he, Jesus said of his own self, I can do not anything except by the Father. Now, there was two distinct characteristics that gave Jesus the ability to do what he did. Number one, he was without sin. Number two, he was submitted to the will of his Father and to desire, the desire of the Holy Spirit. All right, so for us to do what Jesus did, we've got to meet those two criteria. Now, I, I always knew that 30 years ago, but I, I didn't think I could ever meet the first one, be without sin. Because in my theology and in my training and all that surrounded me told me that I was always having to run around keeping the slate clean. And that kept me busy full time just getting the deck cleared of all the rubbish before I could even pray properly. And then when I did approach God, I didn't feel like I was going to get anything because you didn't deserve anything and I wasn't holy enough and I wasn't sinless enough and I wasn't, you know, all that mess. But now that grace has been illuminated to me, I know that I stand just as Jesus without sin. How can you say that? Because that part of me that's born again, that's now perfect, now that's complete, is the spirit that's on the inside of me. And that is from where all that flows. And, you know, so, you know, all these Christians run around, like I told you, say, well, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm not perfect, you know. And it really bothers them for, the, for me to say to them, only perfect people are going to heaven. And you see how much you like that? You just look at me like, and you, and you think that's not true. And then I always follow it with this statement, 70's not passing. What score do you have to make? How righteous do you have to be to go to heaven? you got to be as righteous as God. That's what the Bible says. See how quiet it is? You would think this far along, as much as I preach that, man, it would just go over like a shout. But it don't. Not even in a grace church. In Matthew 5, Jesus began his greatest public sermon, some say, the Sermon on the Mount. And it covers like three chapters. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about righteousness. And he told those law people that was listening to him, those Jews, he said, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he said, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. That blew their minds because they're like, they perceived those people to be the most righteous on the earth. And they were outwardly in religious form, but not in their heart. They were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And Jesus ended chapter 5, not that he was putting chapters, but the last verse of Matthew 5, it says, uh, be ye perfect, 
even as your heavenly Father is perfect. God says you got to be perfect. Well, how are you going to get that? It's got to be a gift from God. And the Bible goes on with the Hebrew writer, and he says that he has perfected forever those that are in him. So on the inside, not on the outside, you can see that I'm not perfect, and I, hey, I can see you're not either. And our behavior, not perfect. None of that, nothing that we can see about us necessarily is perfect, but on the inside, the part you can't see, my spirit that has been born again, that has been sealed unto God, that's perfect. And when I learn to live out of that, then that's when my life will begin to manifest more of that perfection and that holiness and that righteousness that Jesus taught us about. In Ephesians 4, I think it's 24th verse, the, the Bible says that put on the new man, which was, past tense, created in true righteousness and holiness. And when was it created? When you were born again. That's why the Bible says you're a new creation now. You're a new creature. You're totally new. Okay, so this is the truth about Jesus when he walked the earth. He didn't know everything. you got to get that one in your head. You will never attempt. See, listen, if Jesus did what he did because he was Jesus, then how dare I try to convince you to, to copy that? If Jesus had uh, access to some power that you and I don't have, stop calling him your example because he's not. He's not your example. If, if, if Jesus pulled a rabbit out the hat that you don't have access to, if he had some power, if he had some ability, if he was just able to do that because he was the son of God, then stop trying to pretend that, you, that he's your example. And just knock it off. And do like what you've been doing. Don't attempt nothing. Just hang on, Snoopy, till the rapture comes. And then, you know, be better over yonder in the glory land by and by after a while. But if you dare to believe what the Bible teaches, that Jesus was, is not only our example, he was our prototype. And he showed us how to live a supernatural, Holy Spirit-dependent life. Jesus did not know everything, and I know some of you are waiting on me to prove it, and I can. Several places. Jesus was asked one time, tell us when is the day, you know, of, of the return of the Lord. When you, you know, Jesus said, no one knows that. He said out of his own mouth, not the angels, not even the Son knows that, but only my Father. He said, I don't know it. Second proof scripture is the Bible said when he was 12, he grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. How do you grow in wisdom if you already know everything? You can't. You think, God, you think God's growing in wisdom? No, God is wisdom. So Jesus grew in wisdom. Why? Because he, 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 even though he was always God, but he did not avail himself of his, his divine attributes. He was a man. He was not a man pretending to be a man. He was a real flesh and blood man. He, he, he was a man depended upon. If Jesus didn't obtain the victory that he obtained, we we're all still lost. If he came in a suit that's not a man's suit, if he wasn't real, authentic, human being flesh, then we could know not, he could not save us. Jesus arrived through the womb of a woman just like you did. 
He was not pretending to be a man. He was a real man. And so therefore being a real man, he had to grow. He, he had to go to the bathroom. He got tired physically. He got thirsty, woman at the well. He, he got hungry. He, he, he was a real man. And, 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 and he had to be convinced by the same Holy Spirit of his calling. Now, I'm sure his parents helped out and said, now we want to tell you about how you got here. Pretty, pretty cool story. And they told him about his birth. And they told him about all the things that surrounded his birth and his early years. And Harry was trying to kill you and he was killing babies. And the, uh, Gabriel, the angel that visited me and told me I was pregnant, and then later that same angel had to visit your daddy and tell him I wasn't lying because he was just to divorce me because he thought I had stepped out on him and had relations with another man and got pregnant with you. And that's why they all kind of mock you around here and call you the only begotten because they think that I got pregnant and God's never cleared up that stigma for them. But me and your daddy know the truth. You were born of the Holy Spirit, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so that same Gabriel that visited me privately then later had to come visit your daddy. That same angel visited your daddy in a night dream and told him to take us when you was just a little two, three-year-old toddler and flee to Egypt until Herod was dead. Why didn't God kill him? Because God's not a killer, regardless of what you've heard. And then when Herod died, that same angel said, now you can go back to Israel because he who sought the child's life is dead. And they went back and they lived in Nazareth. And that way, because the prophets had prophesied he'd be called a Nazarene. But the same prophets had also prophesied, out of Egypt shall I call my son. So he did come out of Egypt, but he wasn't born there. Sorry, Palestinians, he was a Jew. was a Jew and he lived his life and sometime between 12 years of age and I told you 30 his daddy his daddy that wasn't really his daddy by you don't understand biologically but his daddy Joseph Mary's husband who I'm sure Jesus loved with all his heart sometime between 12 years of age and 30 Jesus's daddy Joseph died and the Bible silent on how he died you would think it would say something about that but it doesn't. We just know that he died. Now, wouldn't you think that if Jesus had any kind of power to do any kind of miracle, wouldn't you think that would be the time to whoop one out? When you're just between 12 and 30 and, you're, and your mom's crying and all your half-brothers and sisters are weeping and you're burying your dad, wouldn't it be cool then to raise the dead? I mean, if you've got that ability, why not whoop it out now? Show us what you got. Because the Bible said that Jesus' brothers and sisters didn't believe none of his stuff. They didn't believe he's no Messiah. They didn't believe in none of it. In fact, one time they got their mama all riled up. And Jesus was in there preaching and teaching and, and, and the place was all filled and they couldn't even get in there to him. And, and the Bible said that they were coming to take him by force. Because they thought he was losing it. This dude's thinking he's like Messiah or something. And they even got his mama caught up in it. Can you imagine? You, am I telling the truth? Have y'all read the book? 
Only after Jesus' resurrection did his brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters, actually start believing in him. James became one of the apostles. <laughs> he became a believing believer. Yeah. And, and, and so, so Jesus buries his dad, and now the Bible changes vernacular, and he's no longer called the carpenter's son. Jesus himself now is called the carpenter. Because he is the oldest, therefore he takes over his father's business so the family can keep eating and living and doing their life. And now when he's 30, he comes to the place of being obedient to the Holy Spirit, and he goes to a baptism service where this wild leather belt wearing hair suit wearing locust shrimp eating tree hugging looking wild man called John the Baptist is holding church out in the wilderness he, he didn't he didn't read the book on how to plan a successful church so he's out in the wilderness holding church and Jesus goes to the baptism service now John the Baptist is actually Jesus's first cousin and John had been told by God that he would recognize the Messiah when he saw him. And he had gave him certain attributes to look for. And so John's out baptizing. And as Jesus comes down, gets closer, John is, is signaled by God that that's your first cousin is the Messiah. And John points his finger and with a loud voice says, the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And John was absolutely convinced and sure that that's who he was. And so Jesus steps into the water at that public declaration of who he was and they're standing in the Jordan River face to face and John looks in the eyes of God and says, I need to be baptized of you instead of me baptizing you. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so that all righteousness might be fulfilled and go ahead and baptize me cuz and when he baptized Jesus the Bible said the heavens were ripped open and, and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form as a dove and it remained upon Jesus and a voice was heard from heaven that spoke in the language that they all understood and said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and God gave witness that this is my son the Holy Spirit gave witness that this is my son. And the man of God, John the Baptist, gave witness that this is the son of God. And so was fulfilled the scripture by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established. This is my son. That's what God said. And then he's led of the spirit into the wilderness there to be tempted and tested of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And yet he did not fail. And the Bible says that he returned from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that he did is he walked into the synagogue as his custom was. He was known and recognized by the rabbis and the teachers. And so when they saw Jesus come in, they loved Jesus. They didn't everybody grow up hating him. They loved him. And the, and the, and the leader of the synagogue, because see, Jesus couldn't be in the ministry. He didn't have the proper papers or the proper birth. So he was not even a candidate to be in the ministry. Because Jesus was born of the wrong tribe. And if you don't think God was trying to say, I'm trying to change things. God was changing things. And God says that, you know, Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. 
That's a kingly tribe. That's where the kings come from. That's where David come from. That's where Benjamin come from. That's a different tribe. But the Bible said nobody had ever been in the ministry, and we've never heard anything spoken about anybody other than a Levite. To be in the ministry, to be a priest, or to be in the ministry, you had to be born of the tribe of Levi or Aaron, a descendant of Aaron, a direct descendant of Moses. And if you were not, you were not even considered. And they probably thought it nice to let's give this tribe of Judah a chance to read some scripture because, you know, he can never be one of us in the ministry. No, you know, couldn't, couldn't do that. So they let him read. And so the Bible said that Jesus turned and he found the place where it was written of him. And he said, I'll just believe I'll read from here. And it says, for the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bring sight to the blind. And when Jesus began to read that, and then when he got through reading that, that's messianic verses. And he closed the book and he handed it back to the attendant. And Jesus looked at him and said, know this, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing this very day. Jesus was saying, I am the Messiah. I'm what the prophets prophesied about. I'm what the, you've been praying for for 4,000 years. I am he who was sent from above. I am in the world, but I'm not of the world. I am the son of God. The Bible said, hearing this, they grabbed him, took him out to the brow of the hill to throw him off and kill him. I said last Sunday, imagine that for your inaugural sermon. What did they want to do, son, after they heard you preach your first sermon? Kill me. But I passed through the midst of them. What does that mean? Supernatural escape. And Jesus then began to do miracles right and left. He healed all the sick that ever came to him. Not one did he send back home sick. Not one. Any funeral he attended, it did not conclude in the fashion they had been concluding in. He even met a funeral one day of a little 12-year-old being carried to the gravesite. They done had the service in town. Everybody was through with it. And the mama was by the son. She was a widow. And Jesus and his disciples coming in to see they're coming out. And Jesus meets the funeral procession. And he stops. And he raises the lad from the dead, hands him back to mama. Funeral man didn't get paid that day because there was no burial. That's what Jesus did. And it's mind-blowing to think he did all those miracles, raising the dead, healing the sick. He did it as a man full of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you got born again, you got filled with the Holy Spirit. You got filled with the Holy Spirit. No matter what us Pentecostal charismatic people have told you, the Holy Spirit is a gift that is given to you when you're born again, and that's what the Bible teaches and I know you spend a lot of time trying to seek it after you got it. It's just really more of an awakening that you do have it. The Bible says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not of him. You're not even saved. So you can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. And the Bible's clear on that. The Baptists always had that part right. You get the Holy Spirit when you're saved. Well, we need to get fuller. No. Colossians 2 says you are complete in him. When you've got Christ, you've got the fullness of the Godhead bodily indwelling you, and God did not hold anything back from you, including the Holy Spirit. 
it's just up to you to awaken to the fact. And sometimes that's all it takes is somebody, apostle, prophet, somebody just to lay hands on you and, and just want you to walk in the fullness that you have. Well, do I have to speak in tongues, you know? No, you don't have to, but you get to. You don't have to eat either, but, I mean, it's good. It's just up to you, though. You can starve or eat, but I'd suggest eating. So I, I get to speak in tongues. Now, I don't do it publicly, hardly ever. Because the Bible says when a man speaks in tongues, he's not speaking to men but to God. And he's praying in the Spirit, building up his most holy faith. And it's kind of like going to the gym. You know, you know, you just do that kind of privately. And so I pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Building up my most holy faith. Do you know what you're saying? Most of the time, no. But if you ain't got enough faith to even believe what the, God, the Word says, that's why you're building up your most holy faith, because for the Spirit prayeth. But the Spirit prayeth the will of the Father. I always don't know the will of the Father. I think I, I know what I want him to do. But that might not be his will. Now, I never question God's will about healing the sick and doing all those things because it's always his will. This is what i got to get you to see. Jesus and embrace his humanity. Jesus, his favorite expression of himself was the Son of Man. That's the phrase that he used referring to himself more than any other phrase. He, 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 he always used son of man most all the time. Je Jesus thought it would be hard for you to perceive the humanity because when you see the miraculous. And so Jesus didn't know everything. He was a real human, and he was just endued with power from the Holy Spirit. He was without sin because your, your sin record has been obliterated by him. You have the same Holy Spirit that he has, the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwelleth within you now. So if, now listen, if everything I've just said, if you believe that, truly believe it, then now you would maybe begin to attempt to duplicate, replicate the miracles or the works that Jesus did. So what do you do when you're faced with those things? You realize that you're standing there on behalf of Jesus. Now, sometimes it doesn't take nothing like, you know, fireworks and, and you know, big, big stuff. And, it's, and, and it can be huge to God. I remember being in a little church in Nichols, Georgia, and I, I was there, and there was probably 40 people there. I was a young preacher. <clears throat> I was preaching revival. But you remember when we used to have those? And I was preaching revival. And I remember it was a little church, and it, it wasn't even – maybe from here to where Howard's sitting at the soundboard, just that was the length of the little sanctuary. And the door opened right to the outdoors. You remember them kind of little churches? It's open right out and you're outside. And I remember seeing, because, you know, there was a lot of the saints in there, as we say, but there was a guy that came in after the service started, younger fella. He sat on the back pew of the church, and so he's kind of noticeable. He's just sitting back there by himself. And then uh, and then so I was, I was, you know, getting, you know, trying to land the plane, getting, you know, to the end of the sermon there. And I noticed he just stood up, and, and he turned to walk out. And, and, you know, so he was, boom, two steps, and he's out the door. And it's one of those things that just kind of hit me before I realized it. But he turned, and he put his hand on the knob, and I said, Sir, stop. And then I'm, I'm, it's almost like I said it before. I even thought, I'm like, why did I tell that dude to stop? And so he stopped because I said it over the mic. <laughs> I said, sir, stop. And so he's standing there. He's got his hand on the door, and he's looking back at me. 
and, and I said, uh, would you come down here? Now, he starts walking to me, and I'm just telling you the truth, and I'm not trying to exactly, I'm just telling you the truth, okay? And I've grown a little bit since then, I hope, you know. But he's walking down, and inside, though, I'm like, God, please help me here. Because this brother didn't look happy that I had stopped him as he was in the exit. And so he walks down front, and I step down, you know, you know, off the little platform near, near this side, step down, and I, I just said, I want to, you know, pray for you. And uh, he, he didn't give no expression. He didn't say, okay. He didn't say, I mean, he didn't look like he appreciated anything I was trying. He just stood there with his arms down. And so I laid hands on his shoulder, you know, started praying for him. I don't even remember what I prayed, but, you know, it's like, Lord, you know, bless him, whatever, love him, whatever. Just pray, you know, whip out your, you know, regular Christian prayer. Because I'm expecting God to do something. Nothing. Not one goose bump did I feel, and I knew he wasn't feeling nothing. And it's like, man, this is embarrassing, is what I'm thinking. Because this, this man, he ain't helping the brother out at all. He's not even giving a smile. He just looks ticked off. And then I've learned over the years, to it always helps to do this that I used to didn't know quite as much as I do now. And inside I've just learned now more to say, Papa, what is it? In my heart I say it, Papa, what is it? So when my stuff didn't work and my best prayer didn't do anything, I just said in my heart, Papa, what is it? And then it's like God's like, well, I was wondering when you was going to you know, be dependent on me. He said, tell him that he is the reason I've sent you here. That's all he said. I said, sir, I want you to look at me. I want you to look in my eyes. I said, I want to tell you what I just heard God tell me. He told me to tell you that you are the reason that he sent me to this church. Now, you feel them goosebumps right now? Y'all feel them? Isn't that wonderful? You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit saying, Y'all listen to this story that dude's telling because this I was there and this is me. And this is how I am. And this is how much I love people. And when I said those words and it made those goosebumps go across you just now because we're, we're drinking of that well fresh right this morning of that moment when that man's life changed forever. Just those simple words inspired by God like apples of gold in a setting of silver right word to the right person at the right time. And when I said, sir, God said, you're the reason that he sent me. He startled me with his vocal explosion like a dam of weeping. He put both of his hands as high as he could reach them into the air and started hollering his love for God. And then we all had goosebumps in that church. And I just let the man go because it was between him and God then. And when, and, and when, when he got through, he said, uh, Preacher, can I say something? And I said, yeah, you could just feel it. It was right. He said, these people in here probably don't none of them even know me. He said, I'm a drug addict. I'm hooked on this and that. He named several drugs. And he said, did I, I'm just, I wrecked and ruined everything in my life. He said, 
and I and I and I saw they had a sign out here side of the road right here talking about revival. And I told I said, God, if there is, if you are real and you exist and you even know I'm alive, I'm gonna walk in this church. I ain't never been in here before and these people don't know me. But you better show that you know who I am. If you care about me at all, because after tonight I'm ending it. And he had listened to me preach and apparently was unimpressed. And was going to leave. He didn't really see nothing super duper that had really rocked his world. And that's when he rolled out and God had me to just blurt it out before I even could think about hollering at somebody to stop. And then to tell him, you're the reason. Now, see, that's why you know the rest of the story. See, the Bible calls one of those gifts the word of knowledge. You, you just have the word. That person has the whole book. You're, you're just going to speak a word to them. I want to tell you all that I became to know that man very well. And I had preached at that church before. It was a young pastor that was pastoring it. And that guy, he just loved, I, I, can't, I just can't put words into how much he loved God from that day forward. And I would see the pastor at, at denominational things, or I run into him to him one time in Douglas at a, at a restaurant. The pastor told me several times, he said, and everywhere I'd see the pastor, there that guy would be. He said, this is my right-hand man right here. This is my buddy. He, he said, he, after he got saved that night when you came, he said he would just come and, st and hang out at the church. And he said, I would say to him, well, what are you doing? He said, I just want to do something down here. I want to rake the yard, sweep the floors. I just want to be here on the property. And uh, Pastor said, well, I can't pay you, you know. And he said, I ain't want no pay. I just want to come hang out here. And so he, and pastor, the Pastor said, well, I got to go to town and visit somebody. He said, can I ride with you, Pastor? And, 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 and then after a while, they, they actually kind of put him on the ministry there with him. And, he, he, and, and I'd see him, and he would always just have the biggest smile. And he just loved God. And for years, I followed that man. Out of one little simple phrase, you're the reason that God sent me. See, you could be, you could tell somebody that's standing in line at Walmart. Because you know if you go to Walmart, my wife said, I don't like to go to Walmart. They say you have to stand in line a long time to get checked out. Well, that's just ministry time. Just look around and see if you can't find somebody to talk to. You see what I'm saying? All I'm trying to get you to see is you don't have to walk on the water to get to everybody. It, it don't have to be that kind of level. But just, 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 just obey what God says. I'll end with this, and I know I've told you this before, but I love testimony. Because, see, when I, when I give testimonies that are true, like what I go, you feel the power. It charges the atmosphere for the potential for you guys. And I was preaching at a Pentecostal church, and, and I got up to preach. And you've heard me tell the story. A lot of you have. Some of you haven't. I got up to preach, and I was said, you know, open your Bible to so and so, and and I, you know, and normally the ministry comes after you preach, but as soon as I looked out, you know, I was just to read my text and preach my sermon, and I, I saw this woman sitting on the end of the pew, on the center aisle, about halfway, and she was sitting by herself or whatever, just a younger lady, looked like maybe in her thirties or something, and, and and I heard God say, "Pray for her now." You pray for her now. <coughs> so I said, "Okay." You know, in my heart, I, I said, ma'am, you know, she ain't expecting me to, you know, and, I, and she's like, you know, I said, yes, ma'am, that's you. I said, would you, would you mind if you if you would come up here and let me pray for you before I preach tonight? 
And she was real sweet, and she'd come up. And this was a church, and I don't mean this offensive, but this was a church that I'd been at many times, and I, I called, they had like a bulldog squad. And that's like if you called the prayer warriors up there, boy, they'd get around them, and they would just be, kind of bulldog them. They, I mean, they wouldn't turn them loose. You know? There'd be some of them saying, hang on, some of them be saying, turn loose, and some of them be trying to get them filled with the Holy Ghost. And so the people scared me a little bit because they were so aggressive. And I could just tell this little girl here that I had called up, that probably wouldn't go down good for her. So I didn't call the Bulldog Squad. I just said, I got this one on my own. And because uh, it was customary to call for the saints to come pray with you. So she stood down. I, I stepped off a little platform, and, and, and I did that little thing. I said, Papa, what is it? What is it? It's terrifying if he don't say something. <laughs> and that's why most people don't do it and why I'm reluctant sometimes, even at Crawford's pushing, to step out in the supernatural. And I said, Papa, what is it? One word come in my heart and head, infirmity. It's not really a word that I use much. It's a biblical word. I know it's in the Bible. It means sickness. It could also mean weakness. So I said, and I didn't ask her, was it true? Because I'd afraid she'd say no, just being honest. I started to ask her, do you have an infirmity? And then she just said, no, that would have killed everything. <laughs> that made me look bad. So I just said, the Lord says you have an infirmity, and I'm going to pray for your healing. And she just stood there, and I laid my hands gently on her, and I prayed the prayer. She didn't fall down. She didn't. She did start weeping a little. You know, I saw tears, but, but you couldn't hear her no crying. And it wasn't very Pentecostally, you know. It was just pretty, pretty reserved, pretty laid back. And I prayed for her, and I just said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And then she went back to her seat, and no, no lightning, and, and I preached my sermon. A week or so later, a Methodist pastor called me. He said, this is Brother So-and-So. I pastored a something Methodist church in this town, and I would like to get you to come run a revival for us, if you would. Now, I'm thinking in those days, I'm a hellfire, brimstone, Holy Ghost-filled, red-hot evangelist, Pentecostal preacher kind of dude. Why is this Methodist guy calling me? Does he know who he got on the phone? And I, and, and I heard the Lord say, take it, go. I, I, I took the meeting not knowing why this Methodist guy was calling me. Never even heard this guy. Never even heard the church. That morning at my, uh, where I was preaching, I had preached on the Holy Spirit descending in the bodily form like a dove. And you're going to think this stuff is weird, but it's really cool if you just start living in the supernatural and kind of expect it. I had one of my elders want to ride with me to the meeting. We, we, we went to the meeting on Sunday night. We pulled up this church, never been there before. I'm telling you that God's truth set on the, on the peak of the church right at the front was a white dove. And, it, and I don't mean the dove we shoot in the field. Anybody got a good hunt? Let me know about it. Uh, I, don't, I ain't talking about them gray doves we shoot in the, in the, in the peanut patch. A white dove. My elder saw it first. He pointed it out to me. He said, look at there. You want you preaching on this morning? He said, right there's a sign to you, Pastor. And I said, well, maybe it is. You know, I ain't one of them guys that just go stupid over stuff like that. But I said, well, maybe it is. I trust that it is. We went in. I didn't even know what the pastor looked like. I, wouldn't have, I couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. And so I just went in and sat on the, on the left side, me and the elder, on the front pew. And a little bit of man come out and said, hey, brother, you Brother Young? I said, yes. He said, well, I'm Pastor so-and-so. We're glad to have you. Appreciate you coming. 
and uh, choir's going to sing, and it was real traditional, you know, real, you know, traditional, you know. That's why I was raised, so it was, you know, uh, burgundy back hymnals, you know, page 92, just a little talk with Jesus make everything all right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I got them books remember. I know I was raised on them. They did the choir stuff and whatever, and the pastor got up, you know, and, he, you know, dismissed the choir loft, and then he said, we're going to have a special tonight. And a young lady come up there behind the piano, and, you know, she said, you know, right before I sing this song, I want to give a word testimony. And I was looking at her, and it was that woman I prayed for. And she said, you know, she said, church, y'all know me. And she said, I'd been diagnosed with, with uh, possible breast cancer. And they were taking me back to do some further biopsies. And, and, uh, and so I, I, she said, I was just so desperate. She said, I, I heard about a revival over here at this uh, church, this church of God. And, and I, I went the other, you know, a couple weeks ago. She said, now, I've already told y'all my testimony. But she said, I want to say it for Brother Young can hear it. And she said, I went and sat in that church. And she said, he got up to preach a sermon and he called me out. And he asked me to come forward, and he said that the Lord said I had an infirmity. She said, which y'all all know I did. And she said, I was scared by that breast cancer. And she said, laid hands on me. And she said, I went to the hospital the next morning just like I was supposed to, and they took me back to do the a biopsy, and they, they brought me back out, and they said there's nothing to do a biopsy on because you don't have any problems in, in, your, in your body with this anymore. And so this little Methodist girl came back and told her Methodist pastor what happened. That's why Brother Dale got invited, because the gifts had made room for me and brought me before great people. The gifts had made a way for me, and the works of Jesus had made a way. And so they didn't care at that Methodist church because they knew that's their little young lady that's a member of their church, and they all knew her, and they know she wasn't no liar, and they was all worried about her like she was worried about herself. And they knew that God had healed her supernaturally and they wanted to see this fella that, that God used to do that with and they were wide open and when I got there man them people would they, if I'd have said it's going to start raining money y'all get your billfolds out they would have done it that's how much they believed that God was there and, and, and I'm telling you what in that Methodist church brother we had revival we had every night was the place was filled and God was using me just like I was in a Pentecostal church he read the sign outside. He was using me just like I was in any place where he, where he was welcome. And I remember midweek, Wednesday night, in, in, in the service, I, I, God said, told me, he said, stop right now and pray for the pastor. And his name was Tommy. I said, Brother Tommy, would you come out here and stand and let me pray for you? He said, yes, sir, I will. And, and, I, and I just said, I want to pray for y'all's pastor tonight. And I went to lay hands on him just to pray my best prayer. And you know what he did? He fell down. And, and we didn't have no catcher. And I didn't know he was just to fall down, and I didn't have no catcher ready to catch him. So he just fell backwards and hit the floor. That's kind of embarrassing when God don't give you the heads up on that stuff. And it's like I had electricity in my hand. I reached to lay hands on him, and he went down like you shot him. And when his back hit the floor, this Methodist pastor started praying real loud in tongues. And which I knew for a fact and was confirmed later that in the bylaws of that church, it says that if you speak in tongues, you have to surrender your membership in that particular church. 
apparently God didn't read their bylaws because this Methodist dude started speaking in tongues real loud and it wasn't no question he was speaking in tongues. I wouldn't have him do like this and say, yeah, he got it. No, he, he was letting us know he had it. And he was full of the Spirit of God and he laid there on that floor and wallowed a little while and spoke in tongues. What was he saying? I don't know, probably glorifying God if I had to guess. And then he got up and he, he, he said, uh, let me hold the mic, Pastor. You know, I mean, he's the pastor. I'm there to serve him. It's his church. He turned around and he faced his congregation. I'll never forget it. Started crying. He said, church, I need to repent to y'all. He was crying the whole time he was talking. He said, uh, I haven't done right by y'all. And he said, I haven't done, and, they, and he, of course you could hear the people, like, what, what's up with Pat? You know. He said, I should have done more with the healing message than I've done. He said, only a couple of my leaders, deacons know. He said, but I've been having a lot of health problems, a lot of difficulties. And he said, you know, y'all know I still work a full-time job, and I got this, but my doctors told me I got to quit the church or, the, or my job, one or the other, because it's killing me. And the stress, and just got all kind of, health issues going on and he said I don't want to give up my church but he said I, I got to work too he said but I believe tonight that God healed me when, when he called and, 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 and laid hands on me and prayed for me just like our little sister got healed of the, of the breast cancer and he said I'm telling you and he made a declaration that he wasn't quitting either one of them and he was going to stand there. And I tell you, when he started doing that, without anybody asking for anything, then all of a sudden the members just started getting up because he was crying and talking. They started getting up and coming up there and hugging him while he was, you know, standing up front, his members. Man, they loved that dude. And they just started hugging him, and, 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 and that ended the service. I mean, I was sitting on the platform, and all, I was watching God, and the whole church, all of them come up there, and they was all taking turns hugging their pastor and just praying for him and just affirming his, you know, their love for him. And, and I was—I remember sitting up there, just sitting on the stage, you know, watching this. And I thought, this is the coolest thing I ever saw. I mean, this is how church is supposed to go here, man. This is just God being God, doing what God does. And I loved it. And we, we, we had a wonderful, wonderful revival that week. And, 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 and just over, and I didn't even know how I got there until I saw that little gal. But it was just a simple act of obedience and saying, and all I felt was pray for her. I didn't have a clue what she was coming down the aisle for. It could have just been to speak a word of comfort. It could have been something to say. Like I had a lady in, in uh, uh, Alma one night. I had a lady in Alma that, that God did the same way. And I remember, Jill knows who I'm going to tell in the story. But this older lady, uh, uh, you know, she was past retired, 70, 80 years old, you know, old like me. And she came forward, and I remember when she got down there, the Lord, you know, I said, Papa, what is it? He said, tell her that I love her. I remember thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I tell everybody that. He said, tell her that I love her. I said, ma'am, the Lord told me to tell you that he loves you. Man, you, Jill was right there with me. She started crying and weeping. She gave her testimony that night that she had a bottle of pills sitting on her nightstand. She was going to give one more chance for God to show her that he loved her. She didn't feel like <coughs> none of her kids loved her. None of her family loved her. She felt like she was all alone. And she just let it get the best of her. <coughs> that wasn't even her church. She slipped into my meeting. And 
God told her publicly, daughter, the words that she needed to hear was God said to tell you that he loves you. That's all it took for that woman. You know, that woman followed me everywhere I'd go in that whole east part of Georgia, didn't she? I'd look out in my meeting. I'd be preaching in Douglas. There she sits, and she'd be back. <laughs> she'd be waving like, I'm here, Pastor Dale. And then I'd go over, and I'd be preaching over in Alma. I'd be preaching in, in Baxley, and I'd be preaching over in these towns. And I'd look out there, and she'd always wait. She always loved me from that point forward. Because, see, it wasn't me, but I just happened to be a vessel that the Lord used to touch her. I want to tell you something today. God loves you. I want to tell you something. You're the reason he sent me here. Grace Point Church into this Sunday morning. And, it, and those words are true for you. Would you stand? Those words are just as true for you as they are for those people and those stories. Now, I don't know what you're believing for. As Jeannie and, and the team sung that song, I believe for it. That is a powerful song. I believe there's more gravy left in that song. We just need to ring it out more next time. You know what I'm saying? There, that's a powerful words. Because we're living now where, man, we, if we ever needed to believe God, we need to believe him now. What do you believe in God for? What do you believe for? I know I wish I could just go, you know, and just start being bang, boom, call you out and tell you the secrets of your heart. And you go, and, you know, I'm, and that's, that'd be fun for me too. And God, God's capable of doing that. And there ain't a Sunday that I ever come to this pulpit that I don't pray for that. I hope you know that. I lay on my face just like I did this morning. I say, God, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I pray for somebody there that you can see their hearts, God, that it's just desperate for them. They need that today. Please illuminate them to me. And I'll do my best to be an instrument of your grace to them. I love that. But what I'm asking you is for an army of people that will say, Jesus, the works that you do, we can do those works not because we deserve it or we pray, but because you went to the Father. And I believe you went to the Father, and when you did, you gave gifts unto men, and you gave me the Holy Spirit when I got born again. And the same Spirit that you had and that you performed all those miraculous things with, that's the same Spirit that I have on the inside of me. And you have removed my sin debt, and you have removed the sin uh, uh, thing, and I stand just like your son stood, sinless before you, full of the Holy Spirit. And then all we have to do is to train ourselves a little bit to just listen. But if you don't ever say, Papa, what is it? Guess what? You don't give him an opportunity. Now, you might say, Papa, what is it? And you don't hear nothing. Then you know what you do then? You do what you think Jesus would do if he was standing there. You know what I say I call it? If I don't hear nothing, I'm going to pray my best prayer. A lot of times I'll just start praying for someone, and I find myself praying prophetically. And I realize I'm praying the secrets of their hearts, and I don't, and then they catch on too. And it just started with the act of faith of me beginning to pray for the person. And I hear myself praying in the spirit, not praying in tongues, but I mean praying with spiritual intelligence of what that is the Holy Spirit zeroing in on what their burden is. And He's speaking comfort to them. Now I'm telling you whether God ever does anything like that or not. I mean, He has done it and He will do it, and He does it through His Word, He does it by His Spirit. And I'm asking you today, do you want to do the works of Jesus? Do you really believe that he that believeth in me, the works that I do shall you do also? And greater than these shall you do. You know why it's greater? Because there's so many more of you.
That's why it's greater. You don't have to think you want to outdo Jesus. You ain't going to outdo Jesus, neither am I. But you can do the works that he did. You can speak a word of comfort. You can speak healing. You can speak the word of God to them. You can speak supernatural things that you don't even know. Say, well, I don't know. I just keep feeling this. They just say that it might be one word. It might be one word. You might say the one word and get another word. Just obey God. Anybody like to live like that? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Amen. I know it's going to probably be every hand in here, but I hate to go out of here without going for this. I want to pray right now for people that are believing for something that you would classify as impossible, totally impossible without God, but you're believing for it anyway. Would you stick your hand up? It's something that you're believing for. Now, that may not be everybody in here, but but it's, it's something that it would be deemed impossible. It may just be impossible to you. You don't see how. But it, it's impossible. But you're believing for it anyway. Oh, so many hands. Now, do you understand that God sees what that hand represents to him? You, you understand that? Now, now let's, are you really believing for it? Hey, you don't care if, if it's UPS, the Postal Service, or FedEx that brings you the package, do you? Would you just take the package regardless of who, what vehicle brings it? Would you just take the miracle regardless of how and when it manifests? Would you just believe, and it don't matter who brings it? Would you accept a miracle from a Baptist, brother? How about from a Methodist? Would you take one from a Methodist? How about from a Pentecostal or a Charismatic? How about from a, just a heathen that's going to deliver it for you? Would you receive it from them? You understand what? I'm telling you, stop with all the pre-notions. God in the name of Jesus, you see every hand. And you see the impossibility that they feel this situation is without the Spirit of God bringing about this miracle this that they're believing you for. So in the mighty name of Jesus, as I have given witness and word, and you have affirmed it by your manifested presence, that what I have said to these people is true. That, 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 that you, you send people for the very reason that those people are desperate for. That you love people regardless of what the enemy tries to say. So I pray in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit of God for these miracles to happen now in their lives. For that that they're believing for to be manifested and experienced and enjoyed and received in Jesus' name. Now thank him for it. They sung and said it's done. He said it. We believe it is done. Amen. Hallelujah. Now not a one of you dare get your miracle and not tell me about it. You can email me. You can text me. I'd like to get some nice emails and texts one time. How about that? Let's try that one time. And just, <laughs> I get a lot of them. But just tell us about it. We want to hear about what God's doing and the miracles that he does in your life. Amen? All right. Go and enjoy your Sunday. We love you. God bless you.